I guess the biggest mama mentality moment of my career was getting up from a torn Achilles and walking off the field. You know, I, I you know, you, I, I saw him do it. You know, I saw him make two free throws and, and walk off with a torn Achilles. And once I tore mine, I knew I had to walk off. You know, I knew, I knew, like he, like he said before, we're different animals but the same beast. Like we, we got a lot, we're built up a lot of the same stuff, and I, I had to be able to walk that off. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. My name is Zach Hernandez. You can find me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. You can follow the podcast at RGS Pod. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how you doing tonight? What's going on, Zach? What's going on, Faithful? It is your boy, Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. As always, guys, find me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. All right, guys, and, uh, you know, just to start this podcast off, we have a bit of a somber note to get to. I'm sure you all know by now. Um, unfortunately, Kobe Bryant and eight other people, including his daughter and a few other children, uh, were killed in a helicopter accident Sunday morning. So we just wanted to go ahead and start this podcast off with eight seconds of silence, just kind of, you know, in their memory. So we're going to go ahead and do that now. All right. Oh, may they rest in peace. Anthony, it is Super Bowl week and there's a lot to talk to. But before we go ahead and get into that, I think we decided we're going to go ahead and have a playoff recap and what kind of the moment up until now, how we got here. Um, if you had to describe the 49ers performance and their two wins so far in one sentence, what sentence would you use? In one rated R sentence, I would say the Niners' two wins in the postseason so far are the most fucking dominating games I've ever seen from one playoff team, bro. <laughs> that, that's my rated R sentence, dude. I think uh, really dominating, really, really powerful from those guys. <laughs> I like that. Um, for me, I'd have to go with um, it's not really uh... – I don't know. I guess you could say it's indicative of how the game went, but you could say glad I'm not having a heart attack because man, for the last seemed like the whole second half of the season, every single game came down to that last play, and I'm just so thankful that that's not the case anymore. And you know, we were at the game Sunday like we said in the last episode, and it was just nice to be able to relax, have some drinks, chill out, and not have to worry about it coming down to the very, very last second. So that would be my sentence, not having a heart attack and thankful for that. Um, you know, there's been so many plays, so many storylines kind of that are being written as we speak. What has been your favorite play so far if you had to choose one? God, if I had to choose one play, I think I'd... I, okay, you know, I think I'm going to go with Emmanuel Mosley's interception against Aaron Rodgers and I know it's not necessarily like a play but I it's significant enough to me because here you have Emmanuel Mosley second year but basically an undrafted free agent you know full-time starter you know a lot of people are questioning this guy wondering does he have what it takes he's kind of unproven you know he's taken over for Akilah Witherspoon and Spoon did pretty well obviously Spoon got hurt came back struggled Mosley took his place and Mosley has been phenomenal but I mean you know to sit on that route to sit on that curl that I think was a corner post and just 
read Rodgers, anticipate, and pick the ball, that was a beautiful play, Zach. And, I mean, you don't see that from guys like Mosley. You don't really see... You don't really see corners outside of guys like Sherman or Jair Alexander. You know, like the top, the top end kind of guys, really make those smart athletic plays in the playoffs. And it usually happens with guys you've never heard of. And quite frankly, for people outside the Niners fan base, no one's ever really heard of Emmanuel Mosley. And you intercept Rodgers in the playoffs when everything matters, dude. That's crazy. That's like high end. Like whoa, this guy's got big balls. <laughs> but um, no, nah, Mosley was really impressive, and I gotta give him credit for that play, man, because he read the route, he read the throw, and he really couldn't have made that play any better than he did. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer, especially from a young guy like Mosley. Like you said, stepping up when the team kind of needed him most. Um, and you know, it wasn't a you know game winning interception, but it's still very very important and helped them win decisively. And when I when I was thinking about answering this question, to be honest with you, it came down to two plays. Um, one was also an interception, but I won't get into that right now. A different interception, I may say. But um, what I'm going to go with is Raheem Mostert's first touchdown from Sunday. And I think it was important because it was a third and eight from Green Bay's 36. Um, so, it, you know, it's, yeah, field goal range, but it's kind of a long one. And, you know, if, if they don't get that, that first down, you're looking at a kind of no man's land. And if he loses yards, you might be even out of field goal range in, in, entirely. So I think just that kind of set the tone of the entire day on that play, getting, you know, a 36-yard touchdown on a third and eight hand off the ball. I think a lot of teams would go ahead and pass the ball when you have eight yards to go to get a first down. But man, it just really shows how much faith Kyle Shanahan has in his running backs and his blockers um, and just confidently calling that running play. And it worked out. I mean, and like I said, it was setting the tone early for what the day was going to be like. Um, Anthony, we talked about it in the last episode and probably even the one before that too. It really, really seems like this defense is back to where they were the first half of the year before they were bitten by the injury bug again. Um, would you attribute that more so to Quan Alexander being back or D Ford being back? I think I would credit it to D Ford being back. I mean, you look what he did against the Vikings. You look what happened against the Packers, six sacks. And I think Rodgers got sacked, what, five times, four times in this Packers game. And it's just like D Ford's impact is instantly noticeable and the thing is too is that he played a good amount of snaps in both both games I think in the Vikings game he played 35 the Packers game he might have played 35 also maybe 40 even but the fact that he's recording a high amount of snaps in these games and he's being significant on almost every single play that's huge you know earlier in the season I kind of knocked myself for it but I almost discredited D Ford because I was like you know, he's hurt so much, he's played very few snaps, and, and you know, I was just kind of being a salty Niner fan, but looking at it now, man, I'm eating my words, and I'll be eating my words until the Super Bowl is over, dude. D. Ford is an absolute monster. You see how he opens up guys like Bosa, Armstead, Buckner, Thomas, you know, he's just a huge distraction on the field for the offensive line, and the fact that he needs to get doubled, chipped, and you already have to deal with Nick Bosa on the other side, who also needs to get doubled or chipped, and then you got to deal with the interior monsters in Armstead and Buckner. I mean, what answer is there really for this defensive line? And the fact that D Ford is back and his impact is immediate says a lot about how well he's just 
again, just impacted this defense as a whole, you know, one, per- I've never seen one person make everyone's job a whole lot easier, and quite frankly, that's what D Ford really does, and not to knock Juan Alexander, because he's still shaking off some rust from a torn pec injury, and, you know, he's working his way back, in the Packers game, he played pretty well, the Vikings game was a little rough, but I think he'll be ready for the Super Bowl, man, but overall, I gotta give it to D Ford, dude, D Ford is just an absolute stud. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue against D Ford, especially with you know, like you said, he kind of opens up everything else, everyone else to do their job easy, easily. And, um, you know, guys like Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, they're just they're having a lot more success when D Ford is on, you know, both book and him and Nick Bosa. But, man, it, it's hard to pick against Quan because although he may not have as big of an impact on the field, you know, physically, that spiritual leader, that emotional intensity that he brings to the game. Um, you can tell the 49ers have their defensive captain back, and he just gets that team, that defense riled up. He gets them ready to go. Man, they'd follow that man into war. Um, so it's it's really hard to underestimate and undersell what Quan Alexander brings to this team, not only on the field, but just in the terms of, you know, emotional leadership. So, and, you know, he's he's flying out there like a damn, you know, they called Ruben Foster Ferrari Foster, but he, you know, Quan Alexander is probably just as fast. This guy is everywhere. You know, no matter where, you know, you see a running back going out the flat, Quan Alexander's there. You see a, a tight end going there, Quan Alexander's there. So, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd see your D Ford and I'd match you with a Quan Alexander because I don't think it's, you know, outside the realm of possibility to say that he's having just as much of an impact uh, on this defense being back fully healthy or not even fully healthy actually I shouldn't say that because he's still kind of you know getting back to 100% sticking with the defense Anthony we saw Akella Witherspoon get pulled after giving up that sort of fluke touchdown to Stefan Diggs uh, against the Vikings in the divisional round and we haven't really seen him get and you know much more playing time especially on defense in crucial moments what are your thoughts on that whole situation? And also, what do you think of how Emmanuel Mosley has stepped in and how he's performed so far? Simply put, I think it really sucks that Akilah Witherspoon has struggled and it's been struggling and it was about time he got benched. I mean, I'm not saying I thought he should have gotten benched, but when you're playing so bad, I think it's time to make a change and Mosley was that change. Look, Akilah Witherspoon came into the season with a lot of high hopes. He started off the season fantastic and he was clearly a Pro Bowl candidate player then he got hurt then everything from there just fell off the table man and it really sucks because again he had so much praise and he had so much momentum taking him forward to really take him to that next level of cornerback play and he was there and when you see him play like that even if he's been struggling you know he has the potential to be that player and you know he can do it I guess it's just a confidence thing. He just needs a big boost. He needs a play to go his way. He needs a couple breakups, maybe a pick, anything to just really raise his morale. Because the moment that happens, I think he can be a top corner again. I mean, Sherm isn't getting any younger. Mosley looks like the next cornerback one or cornerback two opposite of Witherspoon. But again, Witherspoon needs to take those steps if he really wants to be that guy. For now, though... Leave it to Mosley and Sherm. If he can contribute on special teams like he said he wanted to by taking Mosley's snaps, I'll go with that. But overall, with Mosley, though, wow. 
he he's just been really impressive. He looks like a little Sherman out there. I mean, you know, he doesn't have the natural instincts as Sherman just yet. He doesn't really play the ball or play his own that well yet, but he's working on it hard and he's really really improving. And the fact that it's happening so fast, it's really impressive. I think it's really impressive to see that Mosley is taking that next step that we all thought Witherspoon would and really just advancing to what could eventually be that next level of cornerback. And look, it's easy to have a fantastic pass rush, great coverage of linebackers, another fantastic cornerback opposite you, but teams are still going to look at Mosley and they're still going to pick at him. And the fact that he has been picked at and he's taking advantage of that by intercepting Aaron Rodgers, by breaking up passes, by reading routes, by jumping routes, and just breaking up the ball, period, and covering his man, he's making everyone else's job that much easier also. So... You got to give a lot of credit to Emmanuel Mosley, man. The fact that he came out of nowhere and he's playing like a top corner in the league, stunning. I think it's really stunning, but it's also huge if the Niners really want to win this damn Super Bowl. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, especially with you know what you said about how Akella Wither, uh, Witherspoon willing to go up to Coach Shanahan and saying, you know, hey, if he's going to have my snaps on defense, can I have his snaps on special teams? And, you know, I saw some people on Twitter kind of saying that, like, oh, you know, he just, he, he wants, you know, he's so selfish, he's, he wants to make sure he's in the game no matter what. And that's not really the way to look at it. I think the way to look at it is he wants to do whatever he can to help this team win, and he knows that if Mosley's going to be more valuable on defense, then he shouldn't be out there on special teams as well because there's the risk for an injury, you know, obviously. So I thought that that was very kind of selfless of him. And then when they even asked him about it afterwards – you know, they said, were you uh, upset by the pool? Were you upset by, you know, whatever, you know, just kind of how it played out? And he goes, no, not at all. You know, uh, I wasn't playing up to a certain level and the coaches recognized that and they pulled me out. And I hope, you know, Mosley does really well, hope he succeeds to his, his the best of his ability. So I thought that was really nice. And I think it really just shows the mentality of this team as a whole, because it really is, you know, a very selfless unit. And they want what's best for the team as a whole rather than for the individual. And I think that's kind of partly why they're where they are right now. You know, one game left from host uh, having that sixth ring. So it's just great to see, you know, this team really, really sticking together. Even when they're, you know, not doing well individually, they're still willing to give up whatever, you know, accolades and success they could have for the team. And as far as Mosley, man, you couldn't have asked for a better better story for Mosley and he came in like you said Witherspoon got injured early on in the year he was playing at a super high level especially you know compared to last year Mosley stepped in and the defense didn't really miss a beat I mean teams early on were kind of going at him and he held his own that's for sure and he, you know when he got called back to be put in as a starter he's definitely more than held his own opposite of Richard Sherman and that's a lot to ask because, you know, teams do whatever they can to not target Richard Sherman. So, you know, and he, obviously he's got help with the front seven getting home, you know, early and often. But, man, it's just it's been great to see what Mosley's been able to do, especially, you know, as young of a player as he is. Now, we're going to stick with the whole defensive theme here, Anthony, before we move on to the 49ers offense. Um, the Niners defense held Dalvin Cook and Aaron Jones to a combined 74 yards rushing and one TD. They also held Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers to a combined 498 yards and three TDs. Which aspect of the 49ers defense would you say is, is tougher to go against? Their run defense or their pass defense? Shoot. 
you know, I love recording these podcasts, man, but you, you can't be asking these frustrating questions because both both aspects of the defense have been performing very well and it's hard to it's hard to figure which is which. But I guess in my opinion, man, you know, it's kind of frustrating how the second half of the Packers game went. And I know they were just playing soft and they were just trying to get the game out of the way, in my opinion. But I still wouldn't have... I, I didn't want to see 20 points at the end, and that that's being really selfish. So I got to go with the run, man. I think the fact that they've shut down Dalvin Cook, who was a top three running back in the league, and Aaron Jones, who was scoring... what He scored 22 total touchdowns on this season. I think that was a Packers record. But still, a top 10 running back nonetheless. They've gone up against two top 10 running backs and held them to 74 yards. Unreal. That's absolutely unreal. And coming into the season, everyone was talking about the wide nine technique, or excuse me, the wide nine formation, about how you line up the edges outside over the tackles to give them better one-on-one matchup and how that would hurt the run defense. And you look at what's happening in the playoffs now, and it's not impacting it at all. You know, on top of having good cover linebackers who can run with running backs and who know how to hit holes, you still have to have defensive linemen that can get the job done, and they're getting the job done. And again, the fact that they have just completely shut down run offenses the past two games against two offensive lines that are pretty damn good at run blocking is insane. It's absolutely insane, and I would have never thought that this defense was going to hold Delvin Cook to under 20 yards and keep Aaron Jones under 100 yards, so... I got to give props to the run defense, man. They've far exceeded anyone's expectations. And I think it's shocked quite a lot of people, especially with how much, you know, the pass defense has been getting. Quite frankly, no one's talking about the run defense at all. And you look at how it's been doing, it's they're playing like they're a top three run defense in the league. And at the beginning of the season, man, no one would have said that at all. Yeah, especially coming out of last year, this team was getting gashed, especially on the ground. It was like they couldn't stop anyone. Um, but you know, it, it, like you said, it's really, really hard to pick and choose, but for me, I think I'm going to go with the pass defense and I got a little bit of help here from the, you know, the pass rush and just the front, you know, seven in general, but they make it really, really hard for opposing quarterbacks to, you know, get their, you know, five, seven step drop. And not only that, if they're trying to push the ball downfield, man, those routes take, take some time to develop. And you don't have time most more often than not when you're going against the 49ers defense. So, you know, it, it's really, really hard. And I, I, I lay, uh, listed off those stats, the 498 combined yards and three touchdowns for Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers. Kirk Cousins had like 170 of that and Aaron Rodgers had the rest. And I just, you know, most of that came in garbage time, like you said, in the second half and, you know, mid third quarter and on mostly. So it wasn't really even the full picture. Um, I think the 49ers, like you said, they were kind of playing soft. They definitely could have tightened up if they wanted to, but they were more so just trying to not lose the game. Um, So I'd have to go with the pass defense. I think combination with Richard Sherman, Mosley, Tart, Ward, with the guys up front, Bosa, Ford, Buckner, Armstead. It's just a pretty lethal combination, and I don't think any team wants to go against it right now. Um, Anthony, we talked a little bit earlier about D. Ford, Quan Alexander, who had the bigger impact coming back. Um, and, you know, Quan Alexander, he came back early from his injury, 
all along we were hearing he's not going to come back at all. There's no chance. And then it kind of turned into Super Bowl at very best. And then it kind of turned into maybe, you know, the conference championships, but I don't want to get into it. And then it was, oh, okay, yeah, he's good for a divisional round. He's he's clear to practice. Do you think when you've watched him the last two games, is he the same as he was before the injury? Or do you think he's kind of still not 100% and he's kind of a, a limited version of himself out there right now? Yeah, I think he's limited. And look, when you tear your pec, you watched how J.J. Watt played. And J.J. Watt is just a different type of physical freak, man. His body, I think, could take that type of pounding as a defensive end, defensive lineman, when you're 300-plus pounds. And even coming off of a torn pec, he's just a physical monster. Whereas Quan Alexander is obviously a little smaller than J.J. Watt, a little weaker, too, in terms of overall strength. So you have to baby Quan more, I think. You have to really just ease him back into the game. And look, I think he's still going to be a willing tackler, but there's no way Sala and D'Amico Ryans and those guys were telling Quan not to not to really lay the wood on some dudes because he needs to take it easy with himself because if he re-tears that peg or if he even strains it, I don't think losing him dramatically alters the, def- the defense because we saw how well they played without him. But it's still having his presence on the field, it makes a huge difference. Just like D Ford. You know, you don't have D Ford on there, the sacks aren't coming, the pressure is there, but the sacks aren't. And the same thing applies with Quan. The coverage is there, the speed is there, but not having him, I think, really would hurt the defense. So it's good that he's out there, but the past couple games, I definitely think the coaching staff and the medical staff really had an influence on how he should be playing himself. And look, I'm not saying he's not going to put out 100% effort. It's just when he's making tackles or going up against line, or linemen or you know even tight ends, it's like, all right, Quan, t- you know, we want you to play, but just you know, take a step back, take it a little easy, and you'll be good from there. But moving forward, man, I think he'll be ready to go. I really, really think so. Yeah, I think, you know, like you, you kind of cited the injury. It Just looking on the timetable alone and when he's supposed to be fully healthy, there's no doubt in my mind that he's not 100%. And, you know, we talked to our, our resident doctor here, Matt Llewellyn, and he said, yeah, he's definitely risking, you know, further chance of injuring it more by playing. But he's kind of putting that all on the back of his head and playing anyway just for the sake of the team and he really wants to contribute to get this team another ring so you just got to respect it but he's really been playing really well even at a a limited version of himself um not at 100 percent yet he's still one of the better linebackers on the field every time he steps out there so that's just really saying something of how talented he is you know, when he's healthy, because he's still this good, not 100%. Uh, So, you know, hopefully he gets better soon and comes back next year, you know, 100%, because the 49ers, man, they're going to really be a force to be reckoned with, with Quan, Drake Greenlaw, Fred Warner manning the middle of that defense. It's a scary sight. Now, Anthony, let's go ahead and move on to the offense. There's no secret that the 49ers running game has really, really been the focal point of the offense. However, in the first half of the divisional round against the Minnesota Vikings, we saw them throw the ball a lot more. What did you see then? Was it working? Was it not working? Why did they decide to get away from it so so drastically, I guess? I think a lot of it depends on the personnel and the guys that they're playing. I mean, going from Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr to Blake Martinez and... 
linebacker B from the Packers, I think is a huge difference. So Kyle Shanahan really wants to keep those guys off balance, really wants to throw Kendricks and Barr, you know, just off guard, if you will. And it's I think it's good to have a balanced passing and running attack like the way they did against the Vikings. Even after Garoppolo threw the pick, it's like I think he had a couple more passes afterwards. The point being, though, is that Shanahan is a genius. He wants to keep those guys off balance. He really wants to make the defense question what play is going to come next. And as for the Packers game, look, if you're running the ball and you don't need Garoppolo to pass, just run the ball, dude. I I have no problem with it at all. But Shanahan's willingness to let Garoppolo throw when he needs to, just like in the first half of the Vikings game, for example, that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm fine with that. If the game plan calls for it, if that's what his play calling requires, it's absolutely fine. So I, I, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where I think Shanahan just wants to play it how it is. He sees something in the defense that maybe the defense itself doesn't, you know, he's one of the best player or one of the best coaches at exploiting a defense's weaknesses. So you come into that kind of game with that kind of personnel that the Vikings have and he's going to do everything that he can to really just throw them off. Because quite frankly, I think the Vikings do have a better defense than the Packers. And I think Kyle Shanahan is really, you know, not that he doesn't take each game more serious or less serious. But when you face a defense like the Vikings, I think Shanahan puts a lot more effort into making sure those guys don't know where the ball is going to go. So I can see that as to being why Garoppolo really threw the ball more against the Vikings versus the Packers. But hell, either way, you got to credit Shanahan, man. The guy is an absolute genius. Yeah, you know, and I think more so the 49ers, they got up really, really big um, and early on in those two games. Not, not necessarily in the Vikings game. And I think that's why they were passing the ball more so than in the in the Packers game because it was still somewhat of a close game um, and they still kind of needed to get that done. They weren't running the ball. They were still running the ball really well with Tevin Coleman, but they were not running the ball anywhere like the way they were with the Packers. And, you know, we said it last week when they asked Kyle Shanahan after the Packers game, why did you run it so much? Why did you get away from the Packers game? Or excuse me, from the passing game? Why did you not let Jimmy throw out more than eight times? He goes, it's as simple as they couldn't stop the run. If they were to have stopped the run, I more than gladly would have dropped back and passed the ball more. And I really do think it's as simple as that. Um, you know, in, in the, the the first divisional game against the Vikings, you know, I'm looking at the, the scoring plays now. The first quarter, 7-0, seven, 7-7. Nothing, seven, seven, and then going into halftime, it was 10-17. Um, so it was a tighter game. And I think right after halftime, um, we saw Coach Shanahan kind of go definitely towards the running game a lot more, play more close to the vest. Um, especially because it was a, a closer um, game. He didn't want to risk an, a turnover, a tipped pass, being intercepted for a touchdown, you know, whatever it could be. Everything is crazy in NFL. So I really do think he's playing it conservatively, but I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that means that he doesn't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he just doesn't trust the NFL as a whole because anything can happen. I mean, look at the first time the 49ers played the Seahawks. How many passes were tipped, intercepted, uh, almost intercepted? You know, it was just, you can't leave things up to chance when you're trying to get a Super Bowl ring. And I really, really think that's what Kyle Shanahan was trying to do. Play the ball smartly, run it well, get, uh, you know, 
build an early lead, protect it, add to it, and run the clock out. It's the simplest, most foolproof way to win, and that's how he's going to go until, like he said, somebody makes him go another way. Um, Anthony, speaking of that divisional round against the Minnesota Vikings, Tevin Coleman had, I believe, over 100 yards in that game. Do you think he would have had another game with similar numbers against Green Bay if he didn't get injured early on? I, I don't think so. Well, okay, let me clarify. I think Coleman would have had another pretty solid game like he did against the Vikings because a lot of it was just tough four or five-yard carries. And I'm not knocking him because if he's getting five yards to carry, that's all I care about. But we've seen what it's like when Mostert runs, and Coleman doesn't have that running ability that Mostert does. So it it's weird that both of their skill sets are similar and dramatically different. I think Coleman is slower off the bat. He has a lot of build-up speed, but when he's running, man, he's like an absolute tank, whereas Mostert is just quick right off the bat, and he doesn't necessarily try to break tackles, but he just runs through arm tackles. So you have these guys who they do the same thing, but they also do things somewhat different. But in any event, though, to your question, yeah, I think he would have had a good day. I don't think he would have had the day like Mostert had because – you know, Moster was out there breaking records and looking like Barry Sanders out there. But overall, I think Coleman would have had a really good day too. M- maybe better than his Vikings day because of how bad the Packers' run defense is. But overall, I think it would have been another solid day. But shoot, dude, I can't get Mostert off my mind. Mostert was just unreal. Absolutely unreal. I can't believe he put up over 200 yards. I think he had, what, 140 in the first half alone? Unreal. I mean, I I still can't fathom the fact that Raheem Mostert of all running backs that got cut from so many different teams that basically got disrespected by other teams comes into a system, comes in with a head coach that absolutely loves his skill set and takes full advantage of what Mostert does. And I got to give lots of props to Shanahan and Mostert, man. Those guys are, you know, that's like a one-two punch that's just as deadly as Garoppolo and Shanahan. So (laughs) it goes both ways, but God, it. Just I'm just impressed, man. I'm just really, really impressed. Yeah, you know, like you said, he was kind of really pounding it out the first game to get to that 100-yard total. I actually think he would have had at least another 100 yards in the conference championship against the Green Bay Packers because we saw him running pretty well early on before he, he left with that shoulder injury. Um, you know, at the game, it seemed like every time we turned around, he was going for another four to five yards. Um, So I think he definitely had it in him. Uh, He likely would have had to split the carries a bit more. If I remember correctly, Raheem Mostert had something like a a calf cramp, and that's why he didn't play much at all in the Vikings game, but he was fully healthy for the Packers game. So I think Coleman would have likely had to split the reps with him, but I still think he would have had another big game. I mean, as it was, he had six carries for 21 yards, Averaging, you know, a little under four yards a carry. So I think, I don't think it would have been a stretch to see him get another 80 yards on the ground. And, you know, obviously Coleman wouldn't have had as big of a day as he had, but it, it still would have been a big day for both of them for the running game as a whole. And I think the 49ers have a really, really, you know, they lucked out having both Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert back there. And that's not even talking about Matt Breida, who still, we know he's capable of. It's just a matter of him protecting the ball. Now, you kind of touched on Mostert right there and, you know, how great of a success story he's been. 
he's really, really come on strong, especially the second half of the season. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it really seemed like by the very, very latest, the Ravens game, the 49ers fan base and more so of the national media was taking you know, attention of him, taking note of him and what he's really, really able to do in this offense. Um, what do you think it is about this specific offense that allows him to find success? Whereas in the previous six teams he was with, he, he couldn't get anything done. I mean, they didn't even give him a chance. You come into an offensive system that heavily favors running backs and offensive linemen and it's like beauty and the beast, man. You got the beauty and the running backs, and you got the beasts with the offensive line. It's it's shocking to see how well Shanahan can make these guys just perform as well as they are. And he's doing it with guys that no one really, I think, respects, honestly. Outside of Staley and McGlinchey, I mean, Lincoln Tomlinson, Ben Garland, and Mike Person, three interior offensive linemen that a lot of people wouldn't even breathe their names about because they don't care. They are opening lanes and doing jobs that other offensive linemen in the league can't do. And a lot of that is what Shanahan's scheme calls upon. He's a brilliant coach who gets the most out of his offensive linemen. And former left tackle for the Browns and, you know, likely Hall of Famer Joe Thomas even said, out of all the offensive coaches he's been under, Shanahan was his favorite because his system heavily favors offensive linemen because Shanahan really just makes their job that much easier. So... Again, it's like Beauty and the Beast, dude. Shanahan makes these guys come together, and it works out way better than a lot of people expect. And, I mean, you have a guy like Raheem Mostert who is practically like a he's – like, he's like a shiny used toy. You know what I mean? He's been around so long, but he comes into this team where he's hardly had any carries. He's hardly had to be used for offense outside of special teams, and he's just fresh. He's fresh. He doesn't have a lot of mileage on him, and overall, he's just fast. He's really, really fast. So you have this guy who who is hardly used, who is just ready to rumble, and you have Shanahan who gives him a chance on top of giving his offensive lineman the chance to open holes. It's beautiful. It's like it's like a love story, I think. And watching these guys blend together, watching these guys just mesh into one entire unit is it's a lot of fun to watch. And you can see why everything is so dominating. And really, it all starts with Shanahan. Yeah, you know, you, you touched on it, especially with just this style of offense, you know, the outside kind of zone blocking scheme. It really, really suits to his strengths as a runner and just the way that he sees the field, the way he's able to cut back and hit that second gear. Um, he's, he's really, really just the perfect marriage. Like we said in the last episode between Moster and this offense, but I think I kind of also touched on it. Um, when I was wording the question, this is the only team that really gave him a chance. Um, I don't know exactly how many games he played with the previous six teams. I know a lot of them, he was cut, you know, before the season even started. Um, I think it was the Bears, if I remember correctly, that he made the team and then got cut right after making the 53-man roster. So I really, really think that it was just simply a matter of giving him a chance to succeed. And he's kind of made a career here before this year as a special teamer. And, you know, he was making plays as a gunner. He was making plays on punts, whatever it was. And, man, this year he kind of really, really proved his worth on offense as a runner, as a, you know, and he still plays special teams. That's the thing. 
He can just be a dynamic player, a game changer, a difference maker. And Shanahan just really, really knows how to find guys that are perfect for his scheme. And he just, man, he turns them into superstars. I mean, look at George Kittle, you know, uh, Raheem Mostert. Looks like it's going to be Debo right now. So he's just, man, a lot of these players have Kyle Shanahan to think. But, you know, it's not all, it's a, it's, it's half and half, you know, it's a two way street. They both got to put in the work and they both got to do what's required of them. But it's just, it, it looks like it really couldn't be a more perfect marriage right now for Raheem Mostert. And I hope he comes back and I hope he, you know, finishes his career here in, uh, with the 49ers because I don't think he can have another perfect, you know, just environment for him to succeed in. And, you know, I touched on Debo right now out of all of the receivers, since the regular season ended and we've kind of moved on to the, the playoffs, the postseason, it really looks like Debo is the one that is emerging as the true number one wide receiver for the 49ers. Anthony, what have you seen from him from the last two games? I've seen a wide receiver that's not afraid to take on defensive backs, linebackers, and hell, I would even say defensive linemen if they're going after him. Debo is an absolute monster. He's not afraid to go at anyone. He's not afraid to just truck any DB or linebacker and try to get as many yards as possible. And there was a play in the Packers game, which I think was his first catch that was like, I don't remember if it was an RPO or if it was just a slant or like a seam route up the middle, but either way, he caught the ball, he trucked Darnell Savage, and he almost had a touchdown if he would have just kept his footing. He was so close to a touchdown, and if he would have just kept his footing, he would have been to the house, dude. But the fact that Debo is standing out, and it's not that he's standing out over the other wide receivers or tight ends, because even then, it's just that his name hasn't been called upon, and no one else's name has really been called upon to catch balls. But out of everyone who's caught the balls, (laughs) I think Debo has been the most effective. He's been the most powerful. He's been the, again, he's just been the best wide receiver, period. And that's not to knock Kittle or Sanders, but Debo has been there and he's been exceeding far more than these guys have when it comes to catching a ball. And I know the offense hasn't called for him to do it, but when Debo's name is called upon, I feel like you can almost expect him to run the ball for an extra 10 or 15 yards. That's how dominant he is. And you don't see running backs with that mentality at all. And quite frankly, I don't think I've ever really watched a running back like or a wide receiver like Debo Samuel who plays like a running back. He's not afraid to hit anyone. And it's really rare to see a wide receiver play like that more specifically. Yeah, I you know, it's funny that you kind of had to slip up there and say running back because he really, really is like a running back. Once you get him, you know, the ball in his hand in an open space, he is a tough runner. Um, he's a grown man out there on the field, and he's not going to shy away from contact like you said. I think what kind of sticks out to me the most when I think about him and kind of the last two games is just his willingness to fight for that extra yard. And, you know, we talked about it after the Vikings game. It could go against you, you know, as you're fighting for that extra yard. Instead of going down, the ball could be stripped out. But I think he's willing to take that risk and trust himself that he's going to take care of it and just get the job done. And, you know, he seems like he's quickly becoming one of Jimmy's favorites. Um, And, you know, as he continues to grow, I just hope that chemistry continues to grow as well because he really, really looks like he has that star quality. And, you know, we've said it before. It seems like Kyle was hoping to have that sort of growth from Dante 
Pettis happened, and unfortunately that didn't happen and kind of took a step back this year. But man, has Debo really, really been a pleasant surprise. His rookie year has been really fun to watch. Um, Sticking with the passing game, we haven't really seen big numbers from George Kittle the last two weeks. Um, We haven't really seen him at all in the passing game. Anthony, do you think that matters when it comes to this team having success uh, success consistently? No, I don't think it matters at all. And look, you see how effective he is as a run blocker and pass blocker. And when you see that, it's like, uh, we don't really need for him to do anything at all. And earlier in the Super Bowl week, I think today or yesterday, he was saying that he's been playing with a torn labrum the past two seasons. Like, bro, I know you want to play, but go get some damn surgery. We need you good for next season. But, I mean, I think it's the fact of the matter that he's run blocking and pass blocking so well where it's not putting him in situations that he could possibly get hurt in versus trying to catch a ball and make a play. And that's okay. And I don't think it's just Shanahan being careful as is it's the play calling that's really requiring Kittle to block more. But it's just that if you don't need him to take any unnecessary risks, don't do it. It's George Kittle. He's the number one tight end in the league. He is arguably your best player on the team. If he needs to be healthy, if there's any time where your team is dominating and we can get him to do as little as possible and still be effective, I'm going to go that route because you don't want to see anything happen to your superstar tight end. So it's not concerning at all. George Kittle is a stud. He doesn't care if he's not catching the ball. He doesn't care if he's putting up big numbers. No one on the team is selfish, man. They all have a job. They all know what they need to do. And they just get that job done. And they get what they need to get done, done, plain and simple. Yeah, I I don't think it's vital for him to have 100 yards and two touchdowns receiving for the 49ers to win. Like you said, He is a beast and a major, major component to this running game as a blocker. So I think as long as he's on the field and involved in one of the two aspects, the running game or the passing game, the 49ers can have success consistently. I mean, we've seen it the last couple of weeks. He's really, really, you know, thrived being a a run blocker. And he, he's taken, you know, a backseat for the passing game, for the running game to kind of succeed and take that, you know, first initial step for the 49ers. So, you know, I don't think it's vital for them to have, for him to have a big game for this team to win. Um, Anthony Kendrick Bourne, KB, you know, a 49er fan favorite here. He's re- I think he's really proven himself to be the best red zone threat this team has, at least when it comes down to this passing game. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. I think when his name is called upon to get the job done in the red zone, he does it. But I also think that if you were to ask Emmanuel Sanders or George Kittle or Debo to get the job done, I think they could do it also. I I don't think it's that Kendrick Bourne is who Jimmy Garoppolo is looking for. I think it's just that... Well, no, I lied. I'm sorry. I think the play call requires Jimmy to really look for Kendrick Bourne as his first read but either way it's the fact that Kendrick Bourne displays very strong hands in the red zone knows how to get at least a step or two of separation on the slant route or an out route whatever it may be and he beats his man in coverage and that's how you win games that's how you separate yourself from the rest of the boys and you see Kendrick Bourne he's just a big kid out in the field but he's a really smart kid 
who knows how to get open, who knows how to beat his man and catch touchdowns. Look, Kendrick Bourne might not put up the flashy numbers or the big stats, but when he's finishing games with, say as an example, five catches, 34 yards, one touchdown, and the other four catches were first downs, that's all I care about, dude. The fact that he's effective in any situation is what matters the most. It doesn't matter if it's first and short, first and goal, third and 20. You look his way because you can trust him and you can trust that he's going to make a play, and that really speaks a lot to how Kendrick Bourne as a pl- is as a player overall. Yeah, I like that you brought up the first down aspect because – you know, I forget who tweeted it out, but it was pretty much like the majority of his catches are either for touchdowns or for first downs. And, you know, most of those first down catches come on third down passes. So he's a clutch player. Um, and the 49ers, I think, really struck gold with him as an undrafted free agent. Um, I saw here that all five of his touchdowns in 2019 came in the red zone. You know, most teams, once you get inside that 20-yard line, it actually gets tougher to operate because the field kind of gets, you know, mushed in. The defense gets, you know, they got more room to operate. They're not as spread out. But Kendrick Bourne seems to thrive in those situations. And I think the 49ers desperately needed someone like him to step up. And he's a bigger target. I think he's, you know, if I remember correctly, he's over six feet. Um, So he's just, it it works out perfectly for the 49ers and for Jimmy Garoppolo. And like you said, he's he's a more physical receiver. He knows how to get open on the slant route. He knows how to kind of get a little bit of separation. So he, he's, you know, just the perfect red zone threat. And I'm glad that he's able to kind of find some success in the red zone because you know, like you said, he's kind of like the 49ers wide receiver three, four, depending on how you how you shape it up. But he has a vital role. And, you know, when teams have success, when teams have a successful run to the Super Bowl, mo- the, one of the main components is role players doing their job, playing their role, and not worried about, you know, the big numbers, the accolades, the awards, being recognized in the media. None of that matters when you want the team to succeed. And it really, really seems like that's the mentality that this team has. And let's all hope, you know, it kind of comes to a a big, big reward next Sunday. Now, Anthony, wrapping it up here, um, we've all heard it in the media that Kyle Shanahan, or excuse me, that Mike Shanahan is essentially an honorary coach, Kyle Shanahan's dad. How much weight do you put into that? You know, you have two really brilliant minds alike, father and son combination, who who really innovated the game of football with their offensive styles. You know, Shanahan really, or excuse me, Mike Shanahan really set forth the West Coast offense, and he got those offenses rolling. Kyle Shanahan is pretty similar, but I think he's a better schemer than his dad. So I I don't put much weight into it, man. I I mean, these guys are their their two own people. I don't doubt Kyle has learned a lot from Mike, but I mean... You know, it's I, I don't I I don't put much weight into it, man. I respect these guys heavily, but it is what it is. You know what I mean? I respect Mike Shanahan. I respect how the media plays into all of this. But man, just just like Kyle coach, just like Kyle played, just let Mike be a dad, and let's get ready for the damn Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, I think I would put a little bit of weight into it, simply for the fact that. You know, it's kind of like they do converse. They do kind of exchange ideas. 
um, before the, I believe the Vikings game, there was a, uh, yeah, it was a Vikings game. There was an NBC special where Mike and, uh, Kyle's mom were interviewed and they were kind of asked about how they talk still. If Mike has a big impact on what Kyle does and what, what coaching plan he puts in. And Mike was saying, you know what, all week I'm on that laptop watching film, watching, you know, opposing teams, dissecting them, what they do, what they don't do. And, you know, I take all of that and I kind of make a summary of bullet points and I give it to Kyle. And what Kyle does with it is whatever he chooses to do with it. There's no pressure on him to use it. I'm not going to be following up with him and saying, hey, why didn't you use this? Why didn't you do this that I told you? So I think that there is some weight to be kind of put into that because there could be some aspects that Mike Shanahan is telling Kyle Shanahan that he is taking into game day. So I think it's nice because, like you said, they're both brilliant football minds. And when you can have two guys like that that are really, you know, football greats when it comes to coaching, you know, one football great, one hopefully soon to be great. Um, you know, he's already known as one of the, the brightest offensive minds in football, if not the brightest offensive mind in football. So when you can have two of those minds, you know, working together, uh, you know, you can only get a better outcome. I don't think that there's a, a any possibility, uh, or, excuse me, any possible scenario where it comes out that it actually hurts the team because there's no ego involved. It's his dad. It's not like it's some other guy that's coming in. And, you know, we hear a lot from the media that Mike Shanahan is at Levi's Stadium all the time. So I would put a little bit of weight into it, but I think weight in a good way because he's helping out Kyle and Kyle, you know, he loves working with his dad. We've seen that. He said it multiple times. And I just think that the 49ers are a better team because of it. Now, wrapping it up here, Anthony, how have the last two games prepared the 49ers for the biggest game yet, the Super Bowl Sunday? I say this jokingly, but it's like it's hard to say how well they've been able to prepare when they've had to play two very overrated teams. And one can say the same about the Chiefs, too. I mean, you knew the Texans were going to fall off in the playoffs eventually, and the Titans' Cinderella run had to end at some point. But I think it's helped them really prepare for the playoffs in the sense that they've had to go up against Kirk Cousins in a vaunted defense that has made it to the divisional round at least the past three years now. And obviously the Green Bay Packers, who have Aaron Rodgers, who's a Super Bowl quarterback, a playoff quarterback, one of the greatest of all time. And even with the rookie head coach of Matt LaFleur, you know Aaron Rodgers still has the talent. Obviously he didn't show it in the last game, but that doesn't excuse who Aaron Rodgers is. So having to go up against these teams who have been in the playoffs, who know what it's like to play these high-intensity games, that's all the experience that the Niners can really have on them, where they can go and say, we've played teams that know what it's like. Now it's our turn to be that team that knows what it's like. And the thing, the same thing can be said about the Chiefs, really, too, is outside the last season, you know, their playoff experience wasn't that you know, well-rounded either. Andy Reid's was, but Mahomes and those guys weren't outside of last season. So having to go up against these teams that have been in the postseason, that know what it's like to play these games that really do have meaning, where it's you lose and you go home, that type of experience for the Niners is what makes or breaks teams winning and losing the Super Bowl. So having that experience, having to go up against these teams, I think that's the biggest type of, I guess, factor 
that can really play into the Niners' favor overall. Yeah, th- those are good points. Um, I think one thing that kind of can't be understated here is they were consistently doubted. They were consistently uh, being told all week in the media that they were going to lose to look out for you know X team because this is the week that the Niners expose themselves as pretenders. And although you know they may have had the the point spread in Vegas, they weren't hearing that. Um, they were hearing how they were going to be exposed, how you know Aaron Rodgers or Kirk Cousins or Everson Griffin, Dalvin Cook, Devontae Adams, whoever it may be, they were going to show this team, you know, show the world what this team really was. And that's not you know for real. That's not a for real contender. And I think that kind of helps them build that mentality. Especially going into Super Bowl Sunday, where the line right now is, you know, one and a half points Chiefs. It's not much, but it is, you know, they're, they are the underdogs. I think that can help them say, you know, hey, look, we've been doubted all year. Even the last couple of weeks where we were, you know, very obviously the, the more superior team, they were still doubting us. They're still saying that we're not for real. We're not who we, we think we are. So let's go out there and do it again because they still don't believe and what we've put on tape for the last, you know, 18, 19 weeks. So I just think that's a huge aspect to be taken away. And also, no moment has been too big for this team. No matter what it is, this team's been able to respond. They've been able to, you know, succeed. They've been able to thrive. And the defense especially, man, no matter who they're lining up against on the other side, they've been able to put in work. And I think all of those components, all everything I just said, is going to help prepare this team for a huge matchup against the Chiefs. Um, because, you know, like I said, they're being told already. I think the 49ers need to do this to win. They need to do, they need to stop Mayhomes. If May, they can't do this, the game's not theirs. They've been hearing it all year. And I think it's just more talking points that, you know, is bulletin board material for them. So... I think that it's going to be a hell of a game. We're going to save our more in-depth preview for later on this week, guys. Um, Anthony, I think that just about does it for this episode. Is there anything else you wanted to contribute before we wrap it up here? I can't wait for our next episode where we really break down this Chiefs and Niners game, dude. We're back in the Super Bowl. It's about damn time. The Chiefs are getting all the momentum from the media, I think. And the Niners just have one job to do. They've done it before. And I sure as hell think they can do it again, dude. I'm hyped. I'm really, really hyped. It's about damn time. We're less than a week away, and it just needs to hurry up. It just really needs to hurry up. Yeah, man. I mean, it's going to be a hell of an episode the next one, guys, so make sure you tune in. Um, Do us a favor, and if you're listening on iTunes, leave us a review. We read all of them. Uh, We appreciate all of them, and we really thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we can't, you know, tell you guys enough how appreciative we are that we have listeners, that we have followers, that we have people subscribing to us. It really means the world to both of us. So we wanted to thank you. Um, and yeah, that's just going to go ahead and do it for us. Thanks for listening to the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. You can follow us at RGS Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Zach Hernan. Anthony, go ahead and give you guys your Twitter handle one last time. All right, guys, as is always the case. Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y on Twitter underscore 49 E-R-S. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys.